maybe look simple, but, you know, that ball that Sonny plays, you know, that's a world-class player who in a clutch moment <clears throat> finds the right pass. You can't do that if you can't bring him on if it's somebody else, you know, and, and even Brendan getting on the far post, we worked really hard for, with him to do that. So, <clears throat> you know, I, it's not about confidence. I feel like, you know, with, with the squad we have at the for today and hopefully moving forward is that, you know, we do have that ability irrespective of where the game's at to finish games strong. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The reason that I'm here is because, you know, the club is seeking change. He said, well, whether you come or not, you're going to see a completely different first team under me. You know, my hope and my desire and what I'm going to try and do is give our supporters hope and, and belief that we're, um, you know, we're going to embark on something special. Welcome into the Tottenham Depot. I am your host, Andrew. You can follow me at Ace Detka. You can follow us at Tottenham Depot. It is episode 165, and we've got a couple of late victories to talk about for Spurs on both the men's and women's side, leaving it late as they are wont to do. A man who never leaves it late, however, is our friend, Mr. Todd Cachot. He is at TC underscore Cachot. Todd, what's going on with you, my friend? Any day, brother. Any day that you can talk about uh, a last-minute victory any day that you can talk about uh the goal being in the way of brennan johnson smashing a shot into rosette is a good fucking day it is indeed scott is also with us he is at scott scotchy bird scotty how are you on this fine sunday can't complain south africa got the bronze yesterday i'll take it it was a it was an absolutely gutting experience seeing them lose that semi-final right but I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of the squad for, for going out and getting the bronze medal, right? I don't think anyone expected them to even get out of the group. So got to be happy with the third place finish. Um, now it's back to 100% of my focus in North London. Absolutely. And I'm just going to be grateful that while AFCON does have a third place match, uh, the Asian cup did not. So we got to have Sunny back a little bit earlier than perhaps expected. Uh, Caroline is also with us. She is at CG Stefko. Kaz, what's up with you? Well, I'm glad that Sonny is back, uh, you know, as could be expected. Yesterday was a bit of a rough day with my other club, but we really don't need to talk about that. <laughs> no, we don't. We don't need to talk about Bayern Munich on this podcast. It, no, Harry weird. Kane, we have to leave win trophies. Yeah, we have. Hey. We have. We have. We have talked about Bayern Munich a lot on this podcast this year for obvious reasons. There's been a lot of overlap between our club and theirs, but um, I think we can perhaps just leave that one for for you to sulk over. And nothing personal, but you know, I, I want to talk about winners, not uh, not not the opposite of that. So we'll we'll, we'll talk about Spurs on this one. Uh, I did mention uh, a a late victory for Spurs. That's where we're going to kick this podcast off. Uh, it is Tottenham Hotspur two. Brighton and Hove Albion won at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium on Saturday. Um, 
as you guys know, I was uh, not watching this game live, watched it back last night, having known the result, which is not how I enjoy watching games. I really like watching games when I don't know the result because I can kind of react to them as everyone does when they watch them live. But it was weird for me watching this game last night. Uh, I was out at the, the WM Phoenix Open, the golf tournament here in, in Arizona uh, yesterday, which is a whole nother uh, shit show of a topic. But um, the... The, the 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 soccer was good for the most part i thought i mean this was a decently played tight game um i just i thought this was this was emblematic of any kind of premier league game to me todd where the margins are so incredibly thin and you you eke one out in the last moments and get the three points what was your kind of overall feeling on on watching this one uh in a late victory as i looked at this match i saw a team that's not yet settled on the Spurs side. I saw a team that has been without some key members of its squad, including its captain, including some two of its three main defensive stalwarts. I, I saw a team that um, that looked tired in some places and, and just didn't look as fluid as we may want them to look, um, which is completely on, to be expected given the players that we've had out and what we've had to do over the course of the last six weeks to manage. But what I also saw is I saw a team with heart and I saw a team with guts and I saw a team that didn't quit and kept going forward despite God, thank God they can't hear the announcers as they're playing the games because Holy hell, would that be a bleak experience? Because to sit there and listen to the last 15 minutes of that match, the the commentary team talk about how Spurs love to give up a goal in extra time. Love to give up a goal in extra time. Can't wait to give up a goal in extra time and then to win it in extra time. It was just so satisfying as a Spurs fan to watch those motherfuckers eat crow on national tele- international television. It was glorious. Well, it is true, and I'm going to credit Caroline with with sharing this stat in our group chat last night. I believe it was from Squawka Football. Um, Tottenham are the only side to both win 15 or more points from losing positions and lose 15 or more points from winning positions in the Premier League this season. And that that is the dichotomy of Angeball. Yes, it speaks to the nature of – and I feel like we come on every week and talk about this team as – you never know what's going to happen because not only can you always leave it late, but you can, you know, I mean, we were talking a little bit before we started recording, like this team tends to score early and score late and concede early and concede late. And whether, and Ange was asked about this too, like whether it's before or after halftime, it doesn't matter when the goals come. We just know they're always going to come um, somehow within the confines of 90 plus minutes. So it, it is always extremely like thrilling, but also extremely agonizing at times. It just kind of depends. Uh, That's quite Scotty, a reality, one, one might say, was smarter than I. But what, yeah. what I would ask you, Kaz, is as you're watching this, how much of this is just first year Ange, right? First year working through, you know, things like uh, soft tissue injuries, first year Ange working through things like you know, not necessarily having the players at the start. The first year Ange is, you know, adapting to a new league. So as much as our players are going to have to adapt, Ange is also going to have to adapt because you can shut up shop when you're 1-0 or 2-1 up as Celtic. You can shut up shop in the, the SPPL and, and be fine with a back three or something along those lines. In the Premier League, clearly you can't. Like, 
How much of that, Kaz, is, is something that we can just chalk up to first-year Ange and not systemic Ange? I mean, I just think it's it's a lot of different factors. You know, I to me, the biggest issue we've had has just been the persistent kind of injuries as one player comes back, we have someone else going out. So it's been hard to kind of build the consistency that we had at the start of the season. So I, for that reason, you know, I'm willing to be patient <laughs> with the project as they say, um, because I think once we do get everybody back to full strength and, you know, some of the newer players who have come in kind of fully integrated, I think we're going to see, the team back at their best. And, you know, we saw earlier in the season, like I said, this team is capable of really just full flowing football. Um, and, and I think we're going to see that again soon. It's just, it's, there's a few players who, you know, and really important players too, like in the middle of the park, you know, Madison, Benton they just don't look at a hundred percent right now. So I think it's inevitable that we're going to see a little bit of kind of stiltedness, you know, throughout the whole team. Scotty, where are you at with this? Because I, 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 I kind of agree with Caroline. A lot of this to me has been the chopping and changing nature of what's available to Ange with this squad. But you look at this particular match and with players coming back in Basuma and Son from international duty, as we mentioned, like it's nice to have those kinds of options to bring off the bench and perhaps change a game. And while the first goal came before you know, either of those players made their way onto the pitch. It was still nice to see like that, that final stretch and some fresh legs and, you know, just really quality players coming off of the bench. Um, and this kind of just speaks to the nature of a, a project changing and, and building out a squad rather than just a starting 11. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think this match for me is a perfect, perfect representation of, of, of where we're at as a club. And, and if you said map out, the Spurs situation in match form, they would be what we saw yesterday. You had a first half that was really good. Um, and that's primarily a group that consists in, and this is what you all are alluding to, right? That group consists of Romero and Van de Ven finally getting back settled together after some time not playing as a, as a duo. Um, you finally settle a midfield that's been piecemeal and hodgepodge for the last couple of months, right? With some key players out and you finally settle a front three that includes Tim O'Werner, who's new to the club, uh, and things looked really good, right? And then about 60 minutes in, we we uh, make some substitutes. You see Sonny return. You see Basuma return to the field. Um, and we looked like absolute dog shit for the rest of the match until we scored the winner, right? But those guys had been out. They had not been part of this newly formed, integrated team over the last couple of months, right, that, again, had just found, found their footing and, and got settled in. And uh and it just exactly what you would expect right from that type of situation but as these guys start to reintegrate and resettle and learn you know the nuances of what has been going on the last couple months while they're away and everybody rounds into to a fully formed squad we're going to be really good um super good to see basuma and sunny back on the field regardless of whether or not you know they may be uh, disrupted things for for 50 minutes you also see sun get the winner so that's just the quality of young and son. Not not get the winner, but you understand my point, right? Played that beautiful ball after a wonderful run and um, set up Johnson for for what looks like a tap in, isn't quite a tap in, but just a beautifully placed ball by Sonny. Um, and that's what you expect from 
the captain of a national team and the captain of your team and one of the greatest strikers to ever play the play in the Premier League is, you know, maybe a rough 45, 50 minutes upon your return and then the two seconds you need to pop up and uh, put together a winner for your club. So just, uh, again, I can't say it enough, exactly what you would expect from our situation is what we saw yesterday. TC, I want to double click on the substitutions because we got a, a, a question from, from Sean Hurl on Twitter. Um, you thought it was the right personnel, basically, but the wrong timing. Um, either wanted to see them at halftime or wait to see if we kind of retain control of the game that we had established in the second half. Thought we lost control after the subs were made. I, I, I'm not going to fully push back on that, but I also think that there was always probably a plan in place to bring players like Sun, Basuma, Brennan Johnson on with about 30 minutes to go to get them, you know, not only just Sun and, and Basuma coming back from international duty, but to, to get those bodies on and get the fresh legs against Brighton. And it turned out, I mean, look, it, it might not have turned out in the long run, but it did turn out that that crew was able to to, to combine for a goal late and, mm -hmm. and get the full three points. What were your thoughts on the substitutions and, and not just the, the personnel, but the timing of them? No, the timing was planned. If you looked at when the substitutions were made, he made triple substitution in 62 minutes and he made a double substitution on 80 minutes. All of this was planned. The ones at 80 minutes were defensive in nature. The ones like, and they were to, to shore up the back line, Udogi went off um, and Hoybier and, uh, uh, and, and Davies came in, Udogi went off and and um, I forget the other one who came off at that point in time, but it was essentially to shore it up. Perhaps are. Yeah, it was it was sore, and he and he was on a yellow, and it was getting ticky tacky, and he was a little leggy. It was his first start, I believe, since coming back from Afcon. He's played, you know, and so you, you look at that and go, okay, this was all planned as well. So I looked at that and I go, you know, Ange knows more about football. Ange has forgotten more about football than I'll ever know, and I recognize that the man had a plan and he executed it. And in the end, our legs and our style of play won out because Brighton got leggy at the end. We had an opening, beautiful pass, beautiful pass. Johnson smashes it into the net. So I'm not upset about the, especially still integrating people coming back from, from their international duty. I'm not upset about where the substitutions came in at all. Yeah, and I, I think we also just have to be, you know, mindful of, I, I've said it before, but these guys that are coming back from international duty it's different than just being out for a month with like an injury or something like that, that, that international travel just fucks you up. It's, it's grind, It's grinding on your body. It wears you down. Takes a little while to, to, to get settled again. Right. Um, from a physical and mental perspective. So um, three days isn't very, isn't very long after something like that. And I, I, I was really happy to see, you know, all three of them come back on and, and put in a shift. Um, the only, the only thing I'll say is when Kulisetsky came off, we lost our teeth, and it happens every single time. Again, we found the winner. Bravo. Well, but, oh, go ahead. All I'm going to say is the reason why we're feeling that gap, so, like, that that chasm in, in, in quality is because Madison's not firing yet. As soon as Madison starts firing again, and there were a couple of chances after 70 minutes where Madison shaped up, and it just wasn't in the locker like it has. No, he's, just I, not, he's just not there yet. I agree with you, but the only thing I would point out, and I don't want to say even push back, but I would just point out that we never really saw Madison without Kulisetsky because Kulisetsky had played, honestly, every minute. I really think every single minute up until the point that Madison went down. So I'm still, I still just challenge Ange and what is me, you know, over in Seattle challenging Ange on a random podcast, but I would just challenge Ange to continue to figure out what 
we do when Kulisetsi is not on the pitch because I think it really, really makes a difference. And, and you know, caveat, credit to Kulisetsi for just being phenomenal this season. He's so quiet about it, too. He operates under the radar, but he's he's honestly one of the best players in the league, top five players in the Premier League, in my opinion. He's, he's just been fantastic. He's been my player this season for us. Yeah, no, no, that's, that's an easy shout for sure. I think he, 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 he honestly like landslide victory for player of the season at this point. Caroline, do we want to double click on Kulisevsky? Cause we got another uh, comment from Twitter from at Knickerbacker who said, uh, do we have room for a guest to talk for six minutes uninterrupted about how it felt to watch an adorable lumbering redhead, Swedish thick emu do the 40 yard Gareth Bale pass to himself and have it come off. Um, which I thought was, I just wanted to read that verbatim because it's so well put. Um, I don't know if we have six minutes for it, uh, but we, I definitely want to double click on Kulisevsky. He has been incredible. And I don't know. I also don't want to be dismissive of the job that Brennan Johnson has done coming in in his place because Brennan Johnson has now contributed to seven goals. He scored in two of the last three. And this is a guy that's, let's just be honest, getting a, a whole bunch of unnecessary stick. I like where we're at at right wing right now. I like Kulisewski. I like Brennan Johnson. And let's be honest, I like where we're at at left wing. I like Timo Werner. I like Youngman's son, obviously. Richarlison's done a job. Where are you at with this whole attacking group? I Well, I think it's the best area of the squad for us right now, like hands down. Um, it, we've, and, and the thing is that we we don't just have quality players. It's that they all bring something a little bit different. Because, for example, you know, Kulisevsky and Brennan Johnson, very different players. Um, so I think it's it's good to have, you know, the ability for Ange to kind of switch things up in the second half if we need a little bit different, you know, dimension to that right wing spot. Um, the, I feel like Kulisevsky is doing everything right except for his own finishing. That has continued to be a frustration to me that he's just not taking the shots that we used to see him make. Um, I, I know, but it's, it just feels to me like he's holding something back um, in the final third when it comes to, to actually taking his own chances. Uh, but obviously we saw he, he created that opportunity for SARS goal. Um, you know, it, it ended up coming off the post in between, but still it was, it was a fabulous pass. And um, I just think Kulosevsky is a very like, innovative player I guess I would say like he does things that you don't you just don't expect he he has a way of you know sort of tricking defenders and not making the expected move that you know that's been one of the most reliable aspects of his game I think since he joined us so I don't know if he's best player of the season for me but I do think he's been very important so I'm, I'm going to push back on that and I'm going to ask you Kaz what more could Decky do from a finishing perspective to solidify his place as player of the season. And the reason why I asked you that question is because when I look at the player of the season for, for the team, I'm not saying that he's the player of the season for the premier league I'm saying he's the player of the season for the team simply because he's been our Swiss army knife. We've been able to put him in so many different places and have him be effective and have him positively impact the output, uh, you know, the, the impact of the game. Um, or the, the the outcome of the game. Um, I'm just curious, like, ten, does 10 goals do it for you? Well, I'm not expecting him to score 10 goals personally. And I do think he's more valuable for his playmaking. 
So it's again, it's not it's not that I'm wanting to be you know harsh on him. It's just I'm seeing him pass up clear chances, and that's what frustrates me. So I, I think I he's think he's got more just, touches in the opposition box than any other player in the Premier League. So I see. He, he just needs to be, I think, more confident shooting on his less favored foot, for one thing. And that's something that he can work on in training that feels like pretty basic to me because um, it, it really got, just, you know, makes me want to tear my hair out. Just saying. What's that? He's got a game winner off of his opposite foot this year. Just saying. I know he does. I know he does. And like I said, I'm not saying he has been poor this season. It's just in the past few games, I'm noticing this trend. So. By the way, he, he also would be the Swedish army knife not the swiss army knife i just want to get that in there gosh darn um, it that's so I, good because i know because i know someone will say it so i just figured i would say it he them. has been the swedish player of the year for the last two years running and he was integral in us getting lucas bergwald so to me again player of the season for tottenham hotspur is decky i'm just, just i I'm, think I'm decky standing right now it's fun i think uh and that's and that's fine i i don't i don't mind some decky standing i i think that if there was a stat that was like um unstylish nutmegs per 90 he he would probably like win that like he's he's and that speaks to the kind of the craftiness that you were talking about caroline like he's crafty in ways that you don't expect for a right winger he's not as pacey as others but he's obviously got the stamina he's 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 been he's been he's been a horse he's one of the best yes the the body positioning is always on on point dude it's it's interesting you say winger and before before I say why I will I also have to double click on on his close control his technical ability is just he, he gets himself out of double teams in ways that you very rarely see on the touchline it's it, it, his his close control is just incredible but I say it's interesting you say winger because I I really think that he's playing more as an advanced playmaker off the right this season um, and that's why I think. I will say he's missed some he's missed some chances to 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 square balls or or hit sitters earlier in the season. So I hear where Caroline's coming from. I also see where Todd's coming from in the sense that I don't really think he's he's asked to to score goals right now. I think he's he's it's his movement and his spacing that allows everything to happen around him. And that's why I think as I watch him, I'm so surprised by the five goals, two assists because it feels like he's done so much more. But I just think he has. Um, without, without, you know, pounding the, the, the stat line. I just think he's, he's so integral to everything we do. And I'm noticing he's coming back a little bit deeper lately. And, and again, playmaking off the right-hand side, I think it's allowing Richarlison a little more space in the box to operate and, and maybe drift right a little bit. And you can pull Sonny or whoever it's been Timo, Timo Werner, you know, is Timo's been wide and, and his width has been fantastic, but he's also been, He's been narrow and in a more advanced position just off the box. And I think some of that is honestly Kulisevsky's spacing, as crazy as that sounds. So it's all interconnected and everything's on a string in soccer, right? Um, one pulls, the other goes with it. But um, but yeah, Decky's just been just been phenomenal for everything he's done off the ball from that right-hand side. And I think Ange has really, really found a, a good way to use him, which is why I say, what are we going to do when he's not on the field? So. Well, and to your point, it feels like more than five goals to assist. Four of those seven contributions came across two games. He had a goal and assist against Nottingham Forest uh, in December and a goal and assist against uh, Manchester City in that 3-3 draw at the Etihad in December. So four of those seven contributions have all come in two games. So maybe that's why it doesn't. it feels like there should be more. They're not spread out across a multitude of games. 
Um, I want to move into the midfield and double click and go, kind of go back to talking about Pap Sar a little bit because for me, probably a man of the match performance from Pap Sar. I mean, like comes back obviously from AFCON, got the sub sub appearance in the last match, but starts in this game. And Scott, I think I think you touched on this in the last pod is that he's been kind of the straw that stirs the drink for the midfield. Um, I guess when James Madison isn't, but with James Madison still trying to get back to his best after the injury, I feel like Papsar coming back into this thing just makes everything click. And I really enjoyed what Ange said um, in the pre-match when he was at, he was asked specifically about Rodrigo Bentancourt and some of these other midfield pieces and Ibasuma and coming back and is, you know, is this guy a six or an eight? And he kind of just said, I, I hope we can get away from sixes and eights and just talk about midfielders. I feel like that's what Papsar brings. He's just a midfielder and he's doing Whoa. things that are like that, that make everything flow and everything tick for Ange ball. He, he to me is like the, the perfect uh, embodiment of what Ange wants in a midfielder to, to, to make things flow. Yeah. I'll just be quick here. I think Sar is, Sar is incredible. And, and, and now I'll explain why, right? Midfield is, is a simple position, but it's a very challenging position. You, as a midfielder, you receive the ball and you move the ball. And that's really all that you're expected to do, right? So it's all down to your spacing, your soccer IQ, your awareness of what's going on around you. Having eyes on the back of your head, you could say, right? Sar has that in droves. Like, he doesn't do anything flashy. He's not playing the incisive final ball that Madison plays. He's not digging the ball out like Basuma does, but his fucking spacing is incredible. And he's so smart for a 21 year old. When, when you have Basuma, Sar Madison, I've talked about it a bunch. You have Basuma willing to receive the ball deep in traffic, right? And kind of find himself in an oh shit moment and get out of it every single time. Then you have Sar running box to box, line to line, eating up all this space, consuming possession, and allowing Madison to get wide on either side of the advanced midfield and pull all the strings. So I, I, I really think everything revolves around Sar. Um, I'm so happy that he's back and he is, he is going to be by the time he's 25 world-class top three midfielder in the world. In my opinion, we have an absolute gem in pop star. Couldn't agree more with that, man. I, uh, I, I think that what he does more than anything else is he spaces our midfield properly to allow those inverted wingbacks to take up this necessary space for the overload. Without him, we clog. And just a reminder, he's 21 years old and will be homegrown after next season. Like, hey, holy shit. Like, what a, what a, what a purchase. Um, the midfield thank in general, you, I think. It, yeah, and the, thank you, Papa Paratici. Um, we talked about the 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 attack and how there, are, Caroline, you said it. There are different players that are all very unique and can do different things, and I think that's very much the case with the midfield as well. Between Basuma, Bentoncourt, Sar, Madison, you know, you throw a little when when they're not hurt. Gio, Gio Celso and you know Hoybier in there into the into this mix. That there's there's a lot of different pieces that can plug in in different roles i I know that everyone and i know scotty's alluded to it everyone kind of has their own preferred midfield but i love the the 
the dynamic nature of what Ange can do in different games. And I look, I don't think that Bentoncourt has been like at his best the last few weeks, but I, I you'll be damned if I don't want Bentoncourt out there most, most days, like battling his ass off. Um, you know, Madison is still getting back to back to st- full strength, but he, we've even seen some signs of him looking at his best. Where, where are you at with this midfield? Do you do you kind of agree that it's nice to have options like I do? Because I, I think that's the best part of what this squad has been put together like. Yeah, I, I do think just the actual availability has been the biggest issue this season, you know, because even a player like Lacelso, who can be so good on his day just has not been available often enough this season. So I, I can't see him sticking around much longer. Um, but I do think towards, I feel like both Bentoncourt and Madison grew into the game. Um, there were a few moves that Bentoncourt pulled off towards the end of his shift that were just like astounding and really showed, you know, what he can bring to the team. So I, I think for me, my preferred midfield when everybody's fit is Bentoncourt, Saar, and Madison. Um, but again, you know, just a big question of can we can we keep everybody fit for the rest of the season? The good news is we we don't have any other competitions, you know, not going to have a lot of midweek games. I'm not sure if we have any midweek games left, to be quite honest. There might be like one or two. But it, it feels like we should start to strengthen, you know, into the last part of the season and, and be okay in this position. And then kind of shifting to the defense, I I thought this was just another Tottenham defense type of game. Like they're going to give up a penalty because Brighton's press, frankly, was pretty good. Hold on, Todd. Hold on, Todd. You you can have your say. Deep breath. I know. Like the pressing, the the pressing from Brent from from Brighton is going to cause a turnover. Betancourt turns the ball over. You know, Mickey has to step in. I I know you're going to say it's not a clear penalty because that's what you want to do, but penalties are going to happen when you're playing this nature of defense and you're playing to try and play the ball out the back and, you know, play against a high press and trying to high press yourself. Um, I, I don't mind giving up that kind of goal and that kind of penalty in that spot because that's the nature of it. It's like the duality of Ange, like we're talking about. It's, it's what's going to happen when you're playing Ange ball. TC, go ahead. Tell me why I'm wrong. I don't disagree that those are the types of penalties that we're going to give up. I don't disagree that you're going to continue. You're going to turn the ball over when you play an Ange type system. Um, and you're going to turn the ball over in those spots. We watched fucking Vicario give like roll the ball to a defender, like to a defender yesterday. And so like, that's listen, that stuff happens. And what's Ange going to say when you go back and you look at the tape of that, you say, well, Hey, Vicario, next time, roll it out the other direction. See how it goes. And, and that's all. And that's all. Um, that penalty was dog shit. It's, it's not even remotely close to anything but dog shit. And for that to be called, and yet Vicario, which we may or may not come on to, getting boxed out the entire game yet the fuck again. Like, goalkeeper interference just, I guess, isn't a thing. It's just not a thing anymore. But that's besides the point. For 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 this particular instance, I don't know where um where Mickey's supposed to put his feet in that moment in time. And so that's like really that's like my thing more than anything else is that 
First off, clear dive. Second off, as the guy comes down, you stuck your foot underneath his foot. Like, you stuck your leg underneath his foot. Where the is his foot supposed to go? And, like, when you look that, when you look at that back in slow motion, first off, the reverse angle is completely blocked. You can't see shit. All you see is the guy falling over. Second off, when you go back and you slow it down and you actually look at it, the fuck do we have VAR for? What are we doing? That's how I feel, Andrew, about that penalty. Well, I definitely have a lot to say about VAR and officiating in general in a little bit. We're going to come on to another topic, but for, for this particular moment, I, I don't know, man, you can't, you can't put yourself in those positions where you give the opportunity for an official to, to make a call like that. And for VAR to, you know, swallow its pride, it, like, cause we know that it's not going to happen. Um, and honestly, like, I, I don't. I don't know how else you, as your Mickey, I don't know how else you defend that, Andrew. Like, I don't, I don't like, put yourself in that position. Like, like if you're Mickey, what do you do in that moment? Like, that's, that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, when I look at a penalty, I look at a, I look at a, a clear, decisive foul. And I can't say that that was a clear, decisive foul. And that's where, I, that's where I can't, that's where I push back here is because it doesn't look like a clear, decisive foul to me. I think that, this is a product of VAR. In my opinion, it was a foul in the box and it should be called a penalty. I think all of this VAR nonsense has led us to a point where things are now subjective, right? I think if there's no VAR and referees are just making decisions, we are all probably on this podcast saying, yeah, probably a penalty, right? Um, but now there's just this, you know, Pandora's box that we have to explore every single time a call is made. So you just got to get figured out. But you know, we don't need to pot anymore about that. Um, as you said, we'll cover it later. And it's been the topic of discussion for, for a couple of years, right? And that's not going to change anytime soon. I will say this when it comes to the goalkeeper protection issue. Um, th this has been kind of well documented that this is not a Tottenham problem. It's a Premier League problem. Goalkeepers are not getting protected. And I don't know if there was some kind of emphasis from PGMOL about that, but this is one of those things. And we, again, we talked about it last week after the, who was that Everton game? Was it Everton where, or, and, and Brentford as well. Brent, Brentford pulled this too. Like, oh, and Man City too. I mean, going back to the cup game, if we want to. Sure. Yes. No, no, you're, you're hundred percent right. But the, and I saw more of an effort being placed yesterday from guys like Ben to Madison on being the quote unquote enforcer and protecting vicario but more probably needs to be done and it's an adjustment for for everyone not just spurs i almost wish we would do a little bit more of the instigating when we get a corner you don't see a lot of that like play play to what they're going to allow you to play with and look until spurs score a goal after interfering with a keeper and everybody bitches and moans that the rule needs to be changed it's probably not going to get changed so you might as well like push the limit on what you're able to do um, I just, I, I, I said this a few weeks ago, like, I think we need to do a better job. And I think Vicario, who I thought was brilliant in this game, like made incredible, like the, the, the save he made 45 seconds in on the curler was remarkable. He made a couple of other just brilliant, brilliant saves in this game. He was, he was great. I also think he needs to be a little bit more forceful, not just with the opposition, but with his own players and being like, Hey, stand here. And don't let anyone near me. I need the freedom to be able to move, to punch a pass, to, yeah. or you know, punch a cross out, deflect, do, do do whatever I need to do. I I need that that protection. Uh, if if the officials officials aren't going to give it to him, he needs it from his own team. 
So I don't disagree with that. And you definitely saw the difference. He had a personal protector the entire game. The issue is, is if you watch what Brighton was doing, is that they'd run his personal protector would run off one of the whoever was giving him a hard time in his face. And then one other one of their other players would come and screen him into our own fucking goal. It happened three times on set pieces. Like, I just I don't even know why we're having this conversation, because it's so clear. It's so clear if you watch it that in any level of soccer, this is a foul. This is immediately the linesman raises their hand and it goes the other way. I don't understand what we're doing, Kaz. Well, I think the problem is that referees, and this is maybe sounding a little like biased of me, but I, I genuinely think, you know, I think Angie's pointed this out as well. Referees are just being a little they're just not being vigilant lately. Like they're letting things go because they know that if, if a goal occurs, they're going to have a get out of jail free card from VAR. That's going to catch it later on. So they're just not being as attentive. I don't think, I I feel like that's fair to say, because, you know, like you said, we saw this happen several times in the game. I know Buonanote, there was one clip I saw where he literally shoved Vicario into the goal. Um, And it's frustrating that it's not getting called, but, I just don't feel real confident about there being a rule change anytime soon. So that's frustrating. This, this leads, this dovetails perfectly into the topic of blue cards Um, because, and, and, and we'll get, I want to kind of tie up some loose ends about the game, but this changing nature of officiating and rules in the game of football is, is weird and it's concerning at least for me, I know it is. I know it is for Ange Postacago as well. And in fact, Ange made some comments prior to the match when asked about blue cards specifically. I want to hear what he said and, and and let the listeners hear what he said because I think it's an important point. Let's listen to that right now. I look at, like I said, I don't think people will be surprised by my thoughts. Well, I I I I I struggle to understand why this urgency all of a sudden to. To bring in new things, I, I don't. I, I don't know that there's that much wrong with the game as I see it. Um, my biggest issue with the game at the moment is, like I said, VAR has changed the experience. Whether that's you're a player, you're a manager, you're a supporter, whatever you are, I think it's changed the experience of football. So now, I'm assuming that's a means to an end. They, they think that you know, the introduction of technology is going to get us to a better place. I'm yet to be convinced about that, but. Yeah, beyond that, I mean, I I don't know why a different colour card is going to make any difference. And and I struggle with this whole taking from other sports. What I do know about other sports is that most of them are trying to introduce rules that will speed up and unclutter their game. We're going the other way, and I don't know why, because that's been always the difference of, I think, football compared to the other sports, is there's a... A football match always has a life of its own, and, and, and within that, there's mistakes, there's flaws, there's you know imperfections, and you know other sports tend to be able to stop and start and stop and start without affecting it. But even that, like I said, I, most of the other sports that I look across at are trying to speed up their game, make it a better sort of spectacle. I don't know why we're trying to go the other way, but again. <clears throat> I guarantee you I won't be the one that's kind of in the room when they're making those decisions. 
So honestly, you know, what Ange said there about comparing football to other sports and other sports like trying to speed up the game and make it a more enjoyable watch. Um, I want to point to to the game of baseball. And I know like I know Caroline, I know you're not a huge baseball person. Scott, Todd, you guys follow the game a little bit more, I think. But like I'm a huge baseball fan. Baseball made some rule changes last year in terms of speeding up the game, just making it more efficient. Um, and it makes it a more watchable game. And I think it's really important for us to realize that these are, while they are competitions, they are also an entertainment property. And what the game of football is attempting to do right now between VAR and blue cards, and I know that blue cards are not coming to the Premier League next year. It's probably something that we don't have to worry about right off the bat. But everything they are doing is making the game less enjoyable to watch. Every time we have to stop, after a goal is scored and wonder, is that going to be allowed? That's that takes away a little bit from the enjoyment and the entertainment aspect of watching a game. You bring blue cards into this mess. I mean, let's, let's bring orange cards. Let's bring pink cards. Let's bring, you know, black cards and green cards and all the other, like, let's just make a whole array of cards for, for different things. You know, you, you had a, a, a bad throw in. Here's a card for you. You know, here's a, Here's a okay foul, but like not a, not quite a yellow. Let's just make it like a, a tan card. I don't know. This is going to quickly get out of hand if if the governing bodies don't wrap their heads around people. People want continuous action. The reason we watch football is for ninety minutes of continuous action, and they're doing more and more to chop that up. And I, I like I hate to sound so like old and stodgy about this. Uh, I think a lot of people might accuse Ange of, of of feeling that way with with the comments we just heard, but I do think that it's a slippery slope to head down, and I'm I'm nervous about it. No, that makes total sense, as you should be. I mean, the the thing is, is that like I've seen blue cards in play in professional soccer here in San Diego for a long time with the San Diego, indoor San Diego Soccer's. Shout out to the Soccer's. Um, the MASL reigning champions and some business, I don't know, whatever. They win a bunch of trophies. But what, what matters is that the flow of that game um, is so fast because the, fa- the, pa- the, the surface is so small and the walls. And so if somebody crashes into somebody else and they get a blue card and they go to the sin bin, it's played basically on a hockey rink and they just throw some carpet down at Andrew. And so it makes a lot of sense because it's very quickly moving, but it's not 10 minutes. It's like two minutes or five minutes or whatever. And then they come back out. But what you'll notice just like in hockey is it's a penalty kill unit comes on and essentially does what Ange suggested, which is, shut the game down for as long as they can, which is boring as shit. Nobody wants to see it. It isn't actually going to benefit anybody. And Andrew, all it does, all it does is make the game a less enjoyable product. So I couldn't agree more. Old and stodginess aside, like it's making the game worse. And I think that's an opinion everyone can agree on. And to your point, doing doing such a thing is so anti Angeball. It's so anti what he wants the game to be, which is open, free flowing, scoring goals, allowing goals. Like he wants there to be action and entertaining product. And having to put that quote unquote penalty kill unit on the field is the opposite of that. Like you say, like that's that's just that's that's going back to playing, you know, Jose ball and not Angeball. Exactly. And, and there's other like open that. substitutions. 
in in indoor soccer, there's open substitution. So you can bring people right. lines on and off and the whole thing. And that's not the way that we operate here. So that's going to play into the strategy in completely differently. Almost as much as what we're seeing continuously is, uh, for example, um, opposing teams just fouling us when we're on a breakaway because they realize that's way easier than defending us. And that slows the game down and it cripples Ange ball and it makes us less effective. And essentially, Ange is looking at that going, well, why would I want the officials to do that for us? Yep. And I think that um, even even aside from that, like it's, you know, it's it, it speaks to the nature of other sports, too. We don't want I don't want personally officials having more on their plate. We talk so much about like all the decisions that officials have to make. And I, I don't, I don't envy their job. It's a difficult role, but I don't want them to have more decisions to make and more things in their head and another color card in their pocket. That's just too much. I want to simplify as much as we can the game for officials. I get, I get pissed off about this in the NFL as well, because we talk about like the use of coaches challenges and Coaches can challenge plays and and have it sent to replay or quote unquote VAR. And I hate the fact that we force coaches in the NFL to do anything other than coach. We have forced them to, you know, help, help the officials officiate the game too. the officials need help, but not in this way. They don't need more options. Yeah. I know I'd originally, you know, in really just playing devil's advocate when all this news dropped, you know, pointed out that maybe it's to control dissent. And I suspect that that would be like their, the quote unquote reasoning behind it. But I couldn't agree more that it, it, it really hinders the game. Um, 10 minutes is, is a large chunk of a 90 minute match, right? Assuming there's only one of these things, right? Before I even say any of this, but it's, it's a large part of a match and it really does Im- impact the game. Um, I think Ange was nail on the head w- with his comments, right? Um, I think if, if if they really want to crack down on dissent, they have the ability to do that without adding another card into the game. Honestly, VAR would be so much better served just scrutinizing every single time a player goes down, and that's all they do. They don't they don't check goals, they don't check offsides, they don't check blah blah blah. They just check when a player goes down and pop into the rest ear, dive, card them. Like that would get dissent out quickly, right? There's ways to do it. I hate dissent. I, it, it, first of all, it opens the door for all these just morons over here in the U.S. that say soccer is just, you know, this and that and everybody just dies, blah, blah, blah. I'm at the point where I say, yeah, you're not wrong. You know, they do dive left and right. And um, and you really can't can't can't, you know, rebuttal that anymore. I mean, again, they're morons and they're wrong, but wonderful sport. But the sense got to be dealt with. It has to be. Um, and this is not the way to do it, unfortunately. You're, you're you're going down a Lindsey Horan uh, uh, realm there in terms of calling Americans. Yeah, well, but but I but I hear hey, you. I'm not but I do. I do hear the you. National team, so I uh, I'm just gonna speak my mind. I I do hear you, Caroline. Go ahead, jump in on this. Uh, I just wanted to add that, you know, we've already seen the negative effect that lengthy VAR stoppages has had in terms of increasing injuries in the sport. So to me, the idea of players being out for 10 minutes at a time, you know, and I, I would presume not allowed to, you know, keep warm or anything like this is just a recipe for disaster in terms of injuries. So I don't think it's good from that aspect either. And like y'all said, we do not need to be adding more 
bureaucracy for officials to take care of. Like they, they've already proven, you know, not very adept at handling the changes that have come with VAR. So I just, I don't think it's a good idea, period. No question. And, and the last, the last place I'll, I'll, the last thing I'll click on here, Scotty, you said maybe the blue card can eliminate dissent. You know, what's eliminated dissent this year is the yellow card. Like they've put an emphasis on booking guys for dissent. And I think personally that it's worked really well because nowadays you don't see as much gathering around officials after a foul. You don't see crowds of players getting into it. You see basically an official pointing to the guy and pointing away, basically telling him get the hell out of here. And guys are listening. Like we we've seen way fewer, you know, early in the season, we saw it more, but once you saw yellow cards actually being dished out for that kind of thing, we haven't seen nearly as much of it. So I think the yellow card for, you know, a first defensive descent actually has been effective. So that's, that's where I'm at with that. Um, tying up the game itself. Uh, I just think, you know, like I said at the top, kind of just another really brilliant premier league effort to get three points at home against a, what I think is a pretty good team. Um, in terms of injury stuff, I don't think there's anything much coming out of this game. We did get word before the game about Eve Basuma. He obviously appeared in the game uh, as a sub. Um, there was a malaria issue for him at the beginning of AFCON, but that cleared up during, and Ange had said he's hundred percent, he's good to go. The only other injury note, uh, Manor Solomon did have another knee procedure last week. Uh, so another couple of weeks of recovery time for him, a little bit of a setback there. Um, but in terms of all of that stuff, it, it's 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 pretty much a wrap. It's a it's a it's another really good victory. That up next for the men is Wolves on Saturday. Um, that will be a nice opportunity for Spurs to get <laughs> a little bit of revenge. If nobody remembers the last game against Wolves, it was the game following the Chelsea match. Spurs scored early on in that match, about three minutes in, I think it was a Brennan Johnson goal, in fact, and then gave up two goals in stoppage time to lose two one at the Molyneux. So an opportunity for redemption. Uh, will come for Spurs on Saturday against Wolves. Um, let's shift a little bit of gears here and, and talk about the women's team because they had a, a lot of going on in the Cups this week. Um, played on Wednesday against Man, Man City in the League Cup. Fell 1-0. Um, Caroline, what else is there to be said about this game? I'm don't. I, I I'm going to guess it's not much. It's a better effort against Manchester City, but this was the third crack at this team and... Still no dice, not not much, not much doing offensively. I guess better to lose one nil than what was it, six or seven nil the first time these two teams played, but still not enough to get past Manchester City. No, I do think it was one of the best defensive performances we've seen from the team all season. I think, you know, besides that Arsenal game, really this has been the best we've looked defensively. Um and I think our, our new fullbacks who literally are new deserve a lot of credit for having such tough defensive assignments with, you know, the, the pacey wingers that city have. Um, they just completely shut them down. And it, it says a lot that it took Yui Hasegawa scoring just an absolute, you know, wonder goal to, to beat us. You know, they really weren't getting a whole lot going offensively. Um, and Bunny Shaw was neutralized, which is a, a bit miraculous, I guess. Um, but welcome. And the problem was that we just had absolutely nothing going forward for ourselves. Um, zero shots, literally. So that was definitely a down note. Um, so I, I think, you know, if we can move on to the next cup game, which was the game against uh, Charlton Athletic, which we won 1-0, we had a lot more shots. 
weren't very efficient in this game. Um, and, and once again, it kind of took Kit Graham just taking matters into her own hands, you know, with that long range shot. Um, so I, I think the challenge right now for the team and for Robert Villaham is finding that balance, you know, because I, I think we kind of got smoked in a few games on defense and we've started to retreat a little bit, you know, from the completely free flowing style that we were playing earlier. Um, and, you know, kind of like with the men's team, we have had a lot of chopping and changing with the lineup. So that hasn't helped either. Um, and also just missing a player like Ash Neville, I think has been, you know, we've seen a bit of impact from that. You know, she, she offers a lot both on attack and defense. So you really miss her when she's out. Um, but, you know, overall, I think just it's, it is what it is that we got knocked out of the Conti cup, but we were looking good in the FA cup and, you know, we'll see who we get in the draw tomorrow, but it's it's our, you know, most realistic chance of a trophy this season, as Robert has said. So we kind of just have to go for it. Yeah. And yeah. Unfor I, unfortunately, there's a chance of seeing Manchester City again after they defeated Arsenal. But sorry, Scott, go ahead. No, I'm just going to say, I, th I think Robert got it spot on. I think against City, he did exactly what you have to do if, if you're Spurs in this situation. And you bust your ass to not concede a goal and just hope that you find one miraculously somewhere that that's where we're at right now. And, and we're, we're improving as a club for sure. Like Caroline said, the wonder goal, if you strike that zero shots, you're never going to win with zero shots, but the hope is that you maybe find one or two and one of them goes in, right? You don't expect more than three or four shots at best. And you just hope that one goes in. So on another day, we could have, we could have won this match and I tip my hat to Robert that we were even, in in the conversation of uh, of a win for sure um and as i said we're improving we talk about it all the time a couple of years from now we won't be going into a match against city like that and it is what it is the other thing i wanted to double click on is a, a, a message we got from spiggy uh who wanted to know if we believe that the two head coaches meaning you know of the men's and women's team uh, if there's been some synergy and discussions which are benefiting both squads, Caroline, I think this is something we've talked about a lot over the last few months, and I kind of don't like having the conversation. I don't know why I don't, but it feels it feels comparative to me, and I'm not trying to compare the men's and women's teams because I think they are in very different places, but I do think that both of these managers being in their first year and both trying to change not only just a culture, but a style of play. I do think that there has been a little bit of that going on. What are your thoughts on just the nature of both of these guys trying to come in and, and change things and get, get these two teams playing a, a more to dare is to do style. Yeah. I, I don't think that there's so much actual conversations happening between them because they've both kind of downplayed that when asked about it in interviews. I, I think it's more just that, the club is making a conscious decision to have not just the two senior teams, but also the academy teams as well, just really aligned and playing the same style of football. And I, I think there are a lot of commonalities too between their man management between the two teams, um, because these were both squads that, let's be honest, were pretty demoralized after the past season, you know, and really needed a bit of a pick me up. And so I think. I, I can't remember which women's team player it was, um, was just speaking about how Robert has really tried to make the squad feel like a family. And we hear that on the men's side as well. You know, there's, there's just a lot more camaraderie 
togetherness. And I think the captains of both teams really set that tone as well. Um, Cause you know, Job, yes. Beth England, we all know she's had a tough season with her injury, you know, keeping her out for so long. And she's kind of struggled with her finishing since she's came back. But um, just the attitude that she brings, I think, is immense. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a good question. It's it's really, like I said, something that the club is really just sort of transforming overall. And I think that's a good thing to see. I could not agree with you more. I think that the one thing that you can say about Daniel Levy and the people that he's surrounded himself with is that they've been accused of being tone deaf in the past. And I think that Daniel really took that to heart. I think after the, at least on the men's side, I think after the, the, the Mourinho failed experiment and then Conte being the final straw, I think he really and truly went back and said, what does it mean to be Spurs? Because Daniel, at his heart, he may be a weird little man, but in his heart, he is a Spurs fan. Okay? He is a Spurs fan. And, and he's a shrewd businessman. And so when he actually goes back and, and takes a look at what it means to be Spurs and what the fans actually want out of Spurs and what makes the product attractive to be Spurs, I think he said, well, I got to get people that are going to bring that feeling back to this club and i think that he made a conscious effort to do so all the way up and down the board not just in the two senior teams as you mentioned but you know both academy teams uh, on the men's side are are at the top of their leagues as well and producing outstanding uh athletes daniel recognizing the value and shout out to papa paratici recognizing the value of, of going to get guys like jude sunswit bell for you know for a song at, at this point in time and bring him in to, to make him part of the academy and bring him up to a senior player, whether he goes on to be a Tottenham legend or we sell him for a massive profit because of his ability at that point in time, that's great business, but it invests in the family of Tottenham by bringing people through the academy. And, and, and I think that that word is, is really what this season has been all about on both sides, Right. And I love that. It's really easy, Kaz, for, for, for me to for me to get behind that effort. Yeah. And, you know, I think one of the things I've appreciated about both Ange and Robert is that they've been kind of very vocal about their ambitions for the club, not just going forward, but like this season, you know, with Ange, you've heard him kind of punching back at, at reporters who have, you know, dismissed us as title contenders and um, and on the women's side, you've got Robert saying, you know, we, we are still in with a chance for a trophy um, in this FA Cup. So I think that's it's refreshing to hear as a fan because you really want the teams to be doing everything they can um, and, and not sort of just having that defeatist attitude of, well, we're not far enough in the project. We can't do it like, no, they're going to go for it. And I think that's really all we've been wanting to see from both teams. Uh, double click on Levy, too, in all of this. Todd makes some excellent points. I think it's worth pointing out, and and you know this makes me sound like an apologist in defense of Levy, right? But but it has to be said, the Mourinho and Conte hires on the men's side were in response to the fans. I mean, people were frothing at the mouth for a trophy, right? And you go out and you get the two greatest winners in recent history from a footballing perspective, right? Um, in Conte and Mourinho. Now I'm thinking Conte and Mourinho. 
uh, what a great song. But no, I, <laughs> you can even you can even add Rian Skinner into this conversation, right? Levy went out and and brought people in that are capable of winning, and he had to check himself. And we all learn that we learn and grow until the day we die, right? And Levy, it was a learning and and point of growth for him to say, look, we we can do both, right? We don't have to have you know, a style that doesn't align with the, the DNA of Tottenham um, to be able to win. We can do both. And he's gone out and got coaches who, in my opinion, are both capable of winning their leagues eventually. Um, and they played beautiful, attractive football. So I take my hat off to Levy for, for learning and growing. And um, again, making decisions all along the way that I think he felt were best for Tottenham Hotspur, regardless of how they played out, right? I think this kind of thing filters to beyond just the two managers. I mean, we saw an interview earlier this week with Johan Lange and talking about the synergy between recruitment and bringing, like Todd said, young players in. He spoke glowingly about Lucas Bergvall and talk, talked about the synergy between the men's and the women's team and trying to build something and grow something. Um, we even see it down to, and I know this is going to sound silly to some people, but the social media teams like th there's a really great video going around that the the women's account posted of Matilda Vinberg uh, signing a boot for, for a young fan and interacting with a young fan. And I retweeted it from our podcast account. If you haven't seen it at Tottenham Depot, like that kind of stuff filters down throughout an entire club and into the supporters and um, just seeing just i mean i know I'm, I'm i'm getting sappy here but like just seeing the smile on a young kid's face being touched by the club in that way and being you know brought into this thing that's what this this that's what this is about um and it's really cool to see all of that synergy and all of that positivity look you're not going to get three points every time out and you're going to lose some games but doing this together and everybody like kind of rowing the same boat is, is I think super important. And we've seen that um, kind of on all aspects in terms of the women's team. We will get that FA cup draw uh, probably tomorrow. So we'll talk about that next week, but their next match is uh, against Aston Villa next Sunday. Uh, last time out Spurs were four, two winners behind a Martha Thomas hat trick back in October against Aston Villa. So they will hope to perhaps uh, repeat that trick to uh, one one last point on the women's team I wanted to mention Caroline is that we hadn't seen a lot of Luana Buller but she did get the start in this game against Charlotte and we talked about Luana Buller a little bit last week as well and her, kind of some of her injury issues is there anything to be noted by that her her getting right back into the lineup and and putting in a performance well i think it's notable that she was not really straight back into the lineup because she had been on the bench for you know i think it was at least two games now um where she didn't make an appearance so i I'm hoping that was just being cautious about her energy, her injury, I should say, um, because, you know, I don't want to be harsh to Amy, but Luana is objectively an upgrade in that position. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that she's just going to be good to go for the rest of the season because we just have a greater ability to play out from the back when Luana is there at the, the right center back position. Um, and I, you know, I think we've talked about, there's still a little bit of work to be done in terms of, you know, if Barbara Botikova is going to be our, our number one keeper, just building that communication between her and the center backs, because that's kind of been an area for improvement. But yeah, I'm, I'm glad to see her back and, and looking pretty healthy. And, you know, we saw kind of some glimpses of what she can do in this, her first game back, um, obviously against lower level opposition, but still good to see. 
Well, not not much lower. I mean, Charlton have been leading the championship for most of this season, and um, you know, they're likely to be in the WSL next year if they keep it up. So, um, you know, impressive, and and that's why she was brought in. So I just wanted to I wanted to note that before we got out of here because we, she's a player that we've been talking about as a new signing and has come in and had some injury stuff going on. But uh, it was nice to see her back out on the pitch. Um, we'll be back with you all next week, recapping some of these games that are going to happen. Um, as usual, you can follow us at Tottenham Depot on all the socials. Give us a follow on YouTube as well at Tottenham Depot. We're going to be putting some content out there in the coming weeks. Um, again, Wolves and Aston Villa next week for the men's and women's teams respectively. And, uh, we'll talk to you after those. You can follow Caroline at CG Stefko. You can follow Scott at Scotchy Bird. Follow Todd at TC underscore Cachot. Follow me at A Stedka. And again, at Tottenham Depot for all of our content. Uh, until then, next week, we'll talk to you then. As always, come on, you Spurs. <laughs>